listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. The good news that will ever be proclaimed is coming to this young girl from this no-name town that no one thought much of. And so notice this greeting from the, the angel Gabriel. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and she tried to discern or, or figure out what sort of greeting this might be. And so every time in Scripture you see an angel show up with a message, the response is always fear. But remember, for 400 years, their God had been silent. All those years of God leading them, they were constantly hearing from God, whether it was in the temple or that he was shouting from the mountaintops. But for 400 years, they had never heard a word. Not since Malachi had God spoken to his people. And so she sees this angel and she's greatly troubled. She's trying to figure out what's going on. Did I, I eat something bad? Is something going on here? I don't understand. So Gabriel delivers a promise. The promise to Mary in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. So just like the shepherds, the angels want to calm her fear. Mary, you have found favor with Yahweh or with God. And she had to be thinking, who, me? I mean, do you even have any idea? I'm from Nazareth. I'm this young girl that no one knows anything about. Why would he have favor on me? So Gabriel tells her the promise. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And if you stop right there, this had to be great news. And she's probably thinking, man, this is great timing. I'm about to be betrothed. My husband's going to come any day. We're going to start a family right away. Man, we even know what to call him. We don't have to worry about it. We're going to name him Jesus. Nothing unusual. Until you read the next five predictions about this son. Because at this time, I believe Mary is thinking, this is going to be in the future sometime. Maybe a year, maybe two. I'm going to get to have a son. Until we pick up in verse 32. The first prediction, he's going to be great. Man, that's what every mom and dad wants. Man, I want my son, my daughter to be great. I want them to stand out. But then it's the next prediction that everything begins to change. And he will be called the son of the Most High. You see, sons in this time were seen as carbon copies of their father. You were often identified, I would not introduce myself, oh, as Mark. No, I would be the son of Bill. That's where your identity came from. It came from your father. So what was Gabriel saying? He's telling her that your son, he's claiming that he will have equality with God. And no other son has ever had that. Then the third prediction. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And we know that's where her husband comes from. That is the lineage of David. In fact, you go to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and David was promised that one day a son would reign. So I think what she begins putting together for 400 years is God has been silent. People have been wondering, is he even there anymore? But she begins hearing that God can be trusted and he's going to prove it through her son. 
Then the fourth prediction in verse 33, he's going to reign over the house of Jacob. And what's important about that, we read that, is that Jacob, the name for Israel, and one day all the nations are going to gather and to focus on that place. In fact, whoever sits on that throne will in a lot of ways rule the world. And she's realizing it's going to be my son. But as any kingdom happens, you know kingdoms are set up, they're overthrown, but not this one. He goes on with the fifth prediction, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. That nothing will overcome your son or stopping from reigning. Now imagine hearing that as a 14 or 15 year old lady, that that's going to be your son. But then listen to her response as she begins, and she does something that is wise beyond her years. In verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How can this be? How will this be since I am a virgin? So she realizes that the angel is not talking about a promise of a child in the future. She is realizing the angel is not saying someday this is going to happen. You are going to have a child and the day is now. But think about her question. How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. Notice she's not surprised that the Messiah was going to come. But she was surprised that she was going to be the actual mother. So she's not questioning God like Zechariah did. You remember that story where God shut his mouth? What is happening? She's believing God's promises. But she's just looking for some more information to help her understand. But here's another thing I want us to see. Or she's really beyond her years in wisdom. She hears this problem, or this promise, and she slows down, and she thinks, and she contemplates. Now, in all my years of youth ministry, the one thing that I really never saw was teenagers stopping to slow down and to contemplate. But here's Mary. She stops, and she begins to wonder. She's trying to make since that, but I would say adults aren't off the hook. That I would think, yes, we need more lives and more hearts that are like this, that we stop and ponder the things that really matter. Like, what is my life saying? So then the angel, he's going to answer her question in verse 35. And the angel said to her, and the angel's going to answer her. So notice, this is a good question. It's not a question of doubt. It's not a question of unbelief like Zechariah. She does not even get a rebuke. Instead, she gets more information. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. The, the uh, power of the Most High is going to overshadow her. And then he tells her of a miracle that's happened, and she gets to hear about it. Your cousin Elizabeth, who was beyond years, was barren, that God's done a miracle in her womb. And I think this gives her assurance that God actually can come through on his promise, that nothing is impossible. I mean, if there's a phrase that we should think more often about, is that phrase that there is nothing that is impossible with God. In fact, there's a truth that we need to tell ourselves probably more and more when things happen is God is bigger. So she hears this. 
Notice her response. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I have no idea how to do this. I don't want this. I don't have anything to do with this anymore. No. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this 14 to 15 year old teenager from a no-name town, too young to know anything about the world, not old enough to have accomplished anything, she lays down her entire life, her dreams, her plans, her agenda, in favor of God's. I mean, allow that to sink in. She's got her whole life ahead of her. She probably has plans upon plans upon plans. Expectations about, excited about the wedding that's about to happen. Her life with Joseph, the one that she loves. And she says, but I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to me, according to your word. But let me remind you what she's really signing up for. This is not really going to go really well for her for about nine months. In fact, for years to go on. For nine months, she's going to be ridiculed. She'll endure all kinds of rumors. She'll be looked down upon. She'll be excluded. Her life is going to be seen as a disgrace and a scandal. Because no one's going to believe that, that she is now pregnant and it isn't by Joseph or another man that it was the power of the Holy Spirit. God hasn't shown up for 400 years. All of a sudden, she's going to be the outcast. She's going to be wearing the scarlet letter. But when things become unbearable for her, I think she's going to constantly go back to the promises of her God. That she knew she could return to those promises and remember the past examples of God's faithfulness and believe that she would take these words of Gabriel and play them over and over in her mind when things were going horrible for her. That God is bigger. God is bigger. So here's what we see from this very first example of Mary. That when God is bringing his favor upon someone, notice who it is. It's her humble attitude. It's her humility that makes her an ideal receptor of God's favor. I believe humility is the soil that God loves to plant his favor in. And I think that's the key that unlocks a life that magnifies the Lord. It's that each and every day we get up with the mindset of this young Mary that says, you know what, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word that we hand over our dreams and our plans and our agendas and our egos and our pride in exchange for something greater, he is. So then what does she do? She goes to see Elizabeth. She wants to see this for herself. Then Luke records one of the most magnificent things in all of Scripture. It's called Mary's Song or the Magnificat. But what is interesting about these verses, we're going to look in verse 46, is you would read this not knowing and you would think, wow, this has to be a well-trained theologian that has spent years and years studying the Scriptures because she's going to drop on the, hair, uh, the prayer of Hannah. But instead, it comes from somebody that probably, by all accounts, did not even know how to read. She's not someone that someone would ever come to to look for advice or guidance. It's a 14 or 15-year-old girl, and this is what she says. 
And it's in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So interesting that Mary's going to take two terms here. She says, My soul in my spirit. Now, I've thought a lot about these words this week because notice she doesn't say my life or my mouth or my speech that we normally might put in those places. She says, my soul and my spirit magnifies the Lord. Now, I've been thinking, how does a soul or a spirit do that? Your, your mouth, we saw that with the shepherds, that they went away rejoicing and, and telling everyone that would listen, shouting praises. But Mary says, it's my soul and my spirit that magnifies the Lord. It's what we need to realize that no one hears your soul. No one hears your spirit. No one but God. And I think this is a picture. I think Mary is saying at this moment, her soul feels the greatness and the holiness and the mercy of God. She feels it. And there's something going on inside her and she believes God can hear it. I think it is this picture of this quiet intimacy that is happening between her and God. And no matter what is going on in her life, no one can take that away. Think about how different that is in today's time. With the idea of social media that we want everyone to know what's going on about us. We want everybody to see our good deeds. We, we want everybody to see how spiritual we are. But here is a totally different picture. It shows that Mary isn't concerned about what anyone else thinks. She's only concerned about what God thinks and what He hears. That no matter what people might think or say, she knows her God, who He is and what He has done. And there is this calm quietness that she is sharing between her and her Lord. I think she's living with this attitude that says there's only one that matters. So then she's going to recount God's favor upon her. Look in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, a nobody from a no-place town. For behold, now for now all generations will call me blessed. For he is, who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name is holy. So Mary says, people are going to look upon my life, and they are going to call me blessed, not because of what I've done, but what God is going to accomplish through me. He will bless through me, and people will talk about that for ages. It's going to be a life that says God is bigger. So then she recounts, how God's not only blessed her, but how he has a special look for a certain group of people. And notice who it is in verse 50. And he's going to have mercy on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he's going to scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's going to brought down low the mighty from their thrones that he will exalt those of humble estate. He's going to fill the hungry with good things and the rich and sent them away empty. And she is painting a picture of this massive reversal that's going to be happening because the world values certain things. There's advantages to people that have these. 
And everybody's going to chase after those. But Mary's showing a contrast. She's saying God isn't partial to the rich or the powerful or even the proud. Because you need to remember who Luke's writing to. Luke's recording these things to a man named Theophilus. He is a high-ranking Roman official that would have had all three of these. He would have had money, he would have had power, and he would have had influence. And I believe Luke is recounting Mary's song, but it's actually a word of warning to Theophilus. Luke wants him to see who God really is and what God values, and that it's different than the world's. That Luke is contrasting two different worldviews of things that value gods in the worlds. And he's asking Theophilus, what does he want his life to magnify? That God isn't impressed with your pride or your power or your financial success. He has mercy on those who fear him, who humble themselves and turn from their ego-boosting ways. He said, God's not looking for people that have it all together and are self-reliant. He's looking for the lowly. And the humble. But then she continues. She's recounting the faithfulness of God to a specific group of people, Israel. In verse 54, he says, This God, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to their offspring. And Mary remembered with, remained with her for about three months. And he, she then returned home. And I think what is so remarkable about this and powerful and insightful words that are coming, it's from such a young girl that no one knows from a no-name place. But that is exactly the type of person that God loves to use to magnify His name. But you know what, for me, what is most interesting about the Magnificat or her song is what she doesn't say. Mary is going to endure all kinds of problems. She's going to be ridiculed. She is going to be, have to endure rumors. She's going to be an outcast in so many ways because no one is going to believe what has happened to her. They're going to assume that she had skipped out on Joseph or it was him, and there's going to be shame all over the place. But you know what this one teenager does not do in her prayer? She never asked God to protect her or to remove any of that. She is willing to endure it. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So this morning, I think this is a great example and a model for a life that completely magnifies the Lord above all else. An example that was from someone, she's not a famous king that never led armies into battle. She's not someone that ever performed a miracle. She's never taught in the temple. She never wrote a book of the Bible. But she's this young lady from a small town named Nazareth. But I want to leave you with a quote this morning. And, but this is not inspired. This was written by a man named Mark Twain. Mark Twain once wrote that the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. I think this is a story we look at today in the life of Mary that proves that statement is probably very true. The two most important days in the life of Mary were the day she was born and the day she discovered why. And then I would add the day that she came to trust in her child as her Savior. Man, it's going to be the greatest blessing 
And she's going to get to be the one to bring the Savior into the world. So this week, the challenge and encouragement is to remember and to ponder the life of Mary. She was not perfect. She was not sinless. She was just as much in need of a Savior as you and me. But she believed Gabriel's announcement. She didn't question it. She only wanted to know more information. And then she entrusted her entire life, as young as it was, to the promises of God. And then she submitted her life, all of her plans, her agenda, everything that she had, she submitted it to God and said, let your will be done. But you know, then what she did, she hid God's word in her heart. What is amazing is when you take her song and compare that to the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I believe she knew that. She saw the promises that were made to Hannah. She heard about her life. And she drew upon that knowledge and she turned it into a song. So I close this morning with that question one more time. Is what will your life say? What do you want your life to magnify? I believe a life that magnifies the Lord is one that is totally submitted to Him. That says Jesus is not just important. He must be first. So church, if you will, pray with me. Father, we thank you for this truth that Luke recorded for Theophilus that is just as important for us today. That Luke wrote these things down, being led by your Spirit, so that, that Theophilus would have a certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. Lord, we ask the same for us this morning. Lord, help us to know and to believe these truths. Help us to follow Mary's example of saying that we are your servant. Let our lives be according to your will, not ours. Lord, help us to preach and to teach that truth to ourselves that nothing is impossible with you, that you are bigger than any problem or that we may ever face. Lord, help us to want our lives to magnify you, Lord. Lord, we ask these, all these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, and by the mighty power of your Spirit. Amen and amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.